0: This is episode number 284 with Nick Shackleford of The Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration
1: of human potential. Now. Now, 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 the Founder Podcast, even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast,
0: the Founder Podcast. and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to 2020. What's going on, Founder fam? Nathan Chan here. CEO and publisher of Founder Magazine. Hope you're having a great day wherever you are around the world. And uh, welcome to another episode. I've just come back from the Founder 2020 team retreat. Really, really amazing. Um, myself and the team, we've got such, like, so much cool stuff coming for you. We've got some big plans, big visions. And am really, really excited uh, to kick off this year with one of our latest course instructors. Now, his name is Nick Shackelford. He spent over $85 million just on Facebook ads alone in his career. He really is a master at buying traffic. So I know a lot of you listening probably have heard the power of Facebook ads. This guy lives and breathes this stuff. He's the co-founder of an agency called Structured Social. And I just absolutely pick his brain on everything you need to know about Facebook ads, especially if you have an e-commerce business. Now, he is one of five instructors of a new course that we're launching soon called e-commerce masters. Now, if you have an e-commerce business already and you are generating sales, so you don't want to know how to start an e-commerce business, but you want to know how to actually grow it and scale it, um, you've definitely got to check out this course. It's called E-Commerce Masters. We've got five incredible instructors, and these are all instructors that have multi-million dollar businesses. Um, You know, we're talking email marketing, PPC, creating new SKUs, logistics, manufacturing, influencer marketing. It's a really, really incredible course. So if you want to know more, make sure you go to founder.com forward slash advanced e-commerce. So this course goes through the five core pillars you need to double, triple, and really build a large-scale e-commerce business in the multiple six, multiple seven figures of annual revenue. All right, guys, it's founder.com forward slash advanced e-commerce. Make sure you go check this out. All right, that's it from me. Now let's jump into the show. The first question I ask everyone that comes on is uh, how did you get your job?
1: Oh, so I got my job. I got my job because I realized when I was wanting to be, like when I wanted to do something, I knew I had to be a brand. Um, And this goes back to, I played professional soccer. Like that is like where everything began is when I played for the LA galaxy. And if you you realize this today, like Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Cristiano Ronaldo, all these dudes are actually like legitimate brands. And so if you don't, if you don't position yourself, you don't really get to require the contracts. Like you, if you don't position yourself as something unique or they, Oh, Hey, you are going to make followers or fans. Can be a part of what that I assumed, like obviously I wasn't, uh, I'm not a Beckham or Cristiano Ronaldo, but at the time I had a small following in, in the state side around goalkeeping. And so I was hoping that if I was going to be a brand, if I was going to have someone that actually wanted to be a part of like what Nick Shackelford was all about, I had to kind of have like a personality and a vibe about this. And it's actually, I don't know if you guys remember this trend, but remember when like man buns were like a really big deal, <laughs> like in <Yeah>. in 20, <laughs> 2015 and 2016? Yeah. Um, well, I, I I was running with that and I was like, okay, and I'm sure there's like a picture you can find out. It's on my it's on my Instagram somewhere, but I had a big beard and I had like a big old man bun. And I was like, Yep, this is this is who I am. I'm going to be this kind of person. And that establishment kind of got me recognize it. It allowed me to stand out enough for them to give me a chance. And I just so happened to be good enough to get the job to be, to be a pro player. And things, things kind of took its own route. And you, when you realize like I'm a six foot guy in the morning, and if you're going to be a goalkeeper, like you need to be six, two, six, three And America, just loves giant athletes. So I kind of, I kind of already saw like the writing on the wall and I, I made my own exit out of professional sports because I kind of just had bigger goals for myself. And I realized for, for a career in professional sports, it goes two different ways. One, you already signed a large contract and you kind of locked in for a franchise or two, you kind of like take your time and you get a bigger contract as you go, as you go, as you go, but you're really only getting life until you're about thirties. And I'm going, why, why am I getting, I've already, I've already wasted. I wouldn't say waste. I've already invested a large chunk of my life to this one sport. And what it taught me, and I and this is what I was telling my kids when I was training them is like, listen, sports is a vehicle. Like it, it, you just got to know when you need to like exit. It's same thing with a job, right? A job is a vehicle. You just got to know what when's your time to take that off ramp when when you need to exit into the, your to your next uh next turn. So and what was it 20 2015 was that I realized there's no way that I'm gonna reach the goals that I have for myself, both financially personally and in my relationship because at that point i wasn't able to like at least pay for what what my life would be with my partner there's no way her and i are gonna be able to grow something so I, I bet essentially fired myself from the only job that i ever really had which was playing soccer and jumped into marketing which i got very very lucky because i was coaching a daughter her name was ava puepke and her mom was rachel well rachel was there's two divisions within Pepsi. It's Pepsi, and then there's PepsiCo. PepsiCo was more of the relationships of what we call like the syrup that the, that the restaurants were were pouring. Uh, it's kind of weird to say it like that, but the syrup that came out of the uh, the fountains in restaurants versus like Pepsi, where it's like the bottles in out of the, the the stores or the the cans. And they were they were trying to trying to get millennials to be more of a primary purchaser in restaurants and so pepsi would partner pepsico would pepsico would partner with different uh restaurants this one was what we call on the west coast one's called the guahu's fish tacos have you heard of this no okay so it's it's a pretty well-known like west coast like fish taco place um the owners were wing and wing lamb is one of the cool names and he's a really really cool founder i think he'd be a great guy to interview as well and he he was, how do we get millennials to, to buy fish tacos and to talk about it on social media? Well, I'm a 90s kid. I'm 29 years old. And he he allowed me to sit down. And I was just speaking about like, hey, this is what's happening on Instagram. This is what's happening on Facebook. And they're letting me sit at this table that I had no means of being there. But I was just forcing myself to to, to be involved because I knew that this was where the trends were going to go. Like social was it. This is all social was. And I was like, okay. If I can be that millennial consultant speaking on behalf of what we or I specifically would like, maybe I could have more conversations with smarter people that they would put me in better positions of being um, an advocate for how millennials would want to be sold to. Because everybody at that table was 35, 40, 50. At the time when I was sitting there, I was in 2015. How old was I then? Um, 23, 24, right? So they didn't, they didn't know we were buying anyways. They were just looking at these reports and documents and it didn't make sense until I actually put it into terms of, no, this is how you guys should sell. The one campaign that took off for me was for BJ's, uh, BJ's restaurant, BJ's restaurant, which they're famous for the Pazuki or they're famous for, um, like deep dish pizza and, uh, cool, cool brewers, cool, cool beers. Well, I had two ideas. One was you dress up little babies as young hipsters. And this only, and I don't know why I came up with this. It it was some sort of like a spitball with another creative agency. And all it was was them for me to like speak it out. And the creative agency kind of mocked up a great example of how it would look. And they bought the idea. And I sat there and go like, "Wait, wait, wait, so all I had to do was think about an idea and present it to somebody. And then they bought it. And then we all get paid. Oh my God. This is, I want, I want to do this forever. Like this is incredible. <laughs> short lived, short lived in all honesty, because they only did a project every quarter. So I'm all sitting here going like, okay, well, that was my project. They, they already bought it. How do I, how do I get more money? And this was only a, a one-time consultant play. Rachel, her cousin, her name was Alazon. This is right when, Apple made a huge push into digital because this is right before, there was like about 2016, 2017 um, under Resolution Media, which was the main uh, agency that had the contract for Apple. Apple has a team called Mal, Media Arch Lab. They're based out of Playa Vista and they handle their billboards, they handle their TV spots, they handle their paid social, they handle handle everything under this one area. Nobody really even knows about them. So it's called Mal, it's in, in Playa. And I got the job of a lifetime to be a part of like Apple's global paid social team. Like the dude, are you talking like first of all, you have PepsiCo and I was like, okay, that looks great on the resume. And then B I realized, okay, that was only like organic stuff. So it didn't even, it wasn't even as valuable to me personally, because it was heavy on the creative, heavy on massive budgets for production because you had to sell it into a larger organization. Pepsi didn't make sense to me. So when, when Rachel goes, Go talk to Amazon see if they're looking for for someone to, to run their Facebook or run be a part of that social team. I was like, oh, of course we're going to do do this. Walk in, they were open arms because they just wanted anybody at this time to try to associate. And I was like, listen, I know Facebook, um, I know how to run ads. I can run this. I can run that. And they're like, okay, sure, let's give it a go. So in twenty in twenty sixteen, uh, this is when they were launching the i the this was the iPad Pro the iWatch, and the iPhone 7. Yes, these these were the three leaves, And this is the team where we were able to run. So I was in charge of APAC and EMEA. Um, and these were the only, and these were all ran out of the LA office. And so, Nate, when I tell you the type of budgets that we're able to play with this, it would make no sense to you. What type we took? Okay. So there was a tool in Facebook back in the day where you would you would it was it's essentially called the, it was the reach and frequency tool, and the reach and frequency tool was saying, if I wanted to hit as many people as possible, you just have to start inputting a budget, and it would tell you the impressions or the total amount of population that you could hit in a certain area. So Alizan and myself we would sit down and we choose, okay, so if we're going to target the UK, a little bit of Ireland, Spain, Portugal, uh, England and a little bit of Germany, how many dollars would it take for us to reach every single person in the country three times? And as soon as we typed that number in, we'd send it for approval from Apple. They'd send back, yes, go ahead. And that was our budget. <laughs> wow. It, it Every single campaign we did was just a regurgitation of an ad that ran on TV that our creative team would just chop up allow us to run on Facebook and Instagram. And we never even looked at what happened for performance because you can't buy it. Wow, that's crazy. It made no... And so so, this, so think about this. My first jump into paid social was playing with millions and millions of dollars. And I never even had to look if we made money or anything. Wow.
0: So fast forward a little bit. How did you get into the fidget spinners and and really popularize that? Well, it, it actually came right on the
1: back of the the situation at Apple because I knew that I knew if the big brands were spending the money like this and they were actually not measuring performance, now, where I currently live in California, Orange County to LA, that's about forty five miles one way. So two ways it's I'm, I'm pushing about a hundred miles depending on traffic by sitting that. So we did that for about a year and a, a year and a half, and I started realizing, well, I hate everything about this. I mean I'm in a car for at least four hours a day. Then I sit down at the desk and do the job that I enjoy. And I come back, I'm not a good person. I'm not being a good partner. And my best friend, Jake Schmidt at the time goes, hey buddy, we got this great idea that this trend is kind of catching on. And at the time it was people that were doing a 3D printed fidget spinners. And I I didn't, I had no idea what this product was. Jake goes, I know how to find this. And I go, where? This is is my first jump into Alibaba.
0: Mm. First
1: jump into Alibaba. Jake finds the supplier, and where we and where we got really really lucky on it is because in China it's really easy to find the plastic manufacturers, right? But what wasn't easy was to find the bearing manufacturers. The bearing manufacturers is what is the reason why we won so well? Because if you look at what the fidget spinner was, it was four bearings, and there are three ABEC sevens on the outside, and the middle one. If you had a higher level, which we call like a ceramic bearing, that is where people had the most spins at. So, so Jake finds this and he goes, all right, how do we market this? I was like, well, dude, I know Facebook. I can do this left and right. And I actually was in the ad account a couple of days ago because I knew that we were going to talk about this and yeah. we were having conversions. We we're having conversions for $2 and 45 cents. Wow. I, I don't think I've seen a single thing like that at scale, especially in any of the accounts we're running these days. And when I tell you we're selling a $32 fidget spinner, under the name, and we I saw this on, if you go on archive.com, you look at Fidgetly, it'll still be there, their first original website. And it, we were selling fidget spinners to kids left and right. And this is when I realized, like, okay, this is way more fun. There's a there's immediate response. There's immediate revenue. There's a community being built. And we basically try to turn the fidget spinner into the modern day yo-yo.
0: Yeah. And what happened?
1: Two, two poor mistakes. So I was ill-equipped to run a company and fulfill service to fulfill customer service as well as uh, provide a product that was safe. So, what happens with the what happens with the with the uh, the bearings is that there's issues with um, lead. So the issues with lead, we weren't wrapping. So when you when you deliver the product, you had to put a warning sign around where the spinning part was. So that you let them know, like this is there's a choking hazard here because the bearings would, could come out. We didn't plan for this, and we weren't as uh, savvy enough to do this. So we started getting a couple of lawsuits. We started getting a couple of people uh, having complaints around, like, "Hey, this is causing sickness. Like my my kid ate this, and we started getting some some wild complaints about what happened. And we had a very very good successful run for the first about like say like six months. Um, our run rate were was just under half a million dollars in that first six months, and it was the biggest rocket ship with the biggest explosion you could possibly think of.
0: Yeah, wow. And then what was the second lesson that you learned?
1: The second lesson we learned is when we partner with somebody that we expected to 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 provide us clear capital that was that needed to be more established at the beginning. Uh, and what I mean by that is, when Jake and I came into this, we were basically taking all the money that we were making and buying inventory as quick as possible. Well, we did not that didn't leave us for much dollars for marketing, that didn't leave us much dollars for branding, that didn't leave us much dollars for customer support, because it was just us two and a couple of our friends helping us out. So, when we brought this partner that we, I, I won't mention at the time, he took too much equity in the in the company itself and wanted to take it into a direction that we didn't believe, but he was older than us. He seemed like he was the right person to be partnered with. Um, and he took it into a direction which now we realize was one of our downsides. is he made a connected smart device called fidget control. Um, at the time, it sounded like a good idea and he was very convincing, uh, but it was actually probably the, the worst move we could have made. No one's going to use a smart connected fidget spinner when this was a trend that was just as, as quick to go down as it was to rise up. We basically gave up... Uh, too much too much decision making in the company to someone that didn't necessarily have the same uh vision as as we did and we basically worked our way out of a company that we started by ourselves
0: yeah wow so but you've still taken all those lessons and you're like obviously really like you're like one of the most well-renowned people online when it comes to buying media on Facebook and PPC when it comes to also in particular ecoms. So you're running an agency now. Um, yeah. I'm curious, what kind of clients do you work with, and, and are you are you able to share like how much you're spending per month? Because I know it's a lot of money.
1: Yeah. So we I actually just <clears throat> did the math. What was it last month? We did. Well, we're kind of January is a little bit lower, but last month in December we spent just under five million dollars. Yeah, wow. Just under five million dollars, which was pretty special for us. And I have a total amount. Actually, I would I'll pull it up, or I'll maybe I'll put it into the, in the cycle for you. But let me let me look through it real quick, because I know I have it saved, and it was all what we spent last year, and it kind of blew me away because
0: when you don't really get a look at it as much as well, you're just optimizing for the micro, man. Well, we had to.
1: So last year
0: total. Um, we spent just
1: over seventeen million for a total return of fifty-five.
0: Wow. That was from January first to December thirty-first. That's crazy! That's that's incredible returns, man. All physical products.
1: We only do ecom. That's all we do. We only do ecom products. And you you asked like what kind of products we work with. Well, I realized really quick. I don't like product development. I don't like customer service. I don't like um, ideation of products, but what I really, really like is when that product comes to me, like, "Hey, Nick, um, I understand that. Like, here's our, here's the product, here's the demographic we're really trying to go after, but there's a little bit of uh, smoke here. It's starting to make sense. I just don't know, like, the proper structure of testing, and I don't know the proper structure of like when to scale. Because if you were to ask me, like, the difference between a good media buyer and a bad media buyer, a good media buyer feels confident enough in the dollars they have to invest to learn." It's what we call is like we have to buy the data and I never get mad at like whether a buyer is working for me or if there's a, a buyer internally at your at, at, at someone else's company like you have to spend the money to learn it just has to be a clear set of dollars spent like and what I mean by that is like everybody always asks me this question how many how much money do you spend to know you've spent enough money right like how how do you know how much money to spend before you go like, oh, it's not going to work anymore well if your tests are clear, because I think we've talked a little bit about this before, is it's kind of like the, the microwave theory, right? The microwave, the microwave has many of many things it could do. Essentially it heats it up, but you can put many different products into it. So Facebook being the microwave, it's gonna heat that product up. It's gonna get it to where you want it to be. But it if it depends on you have to put the right budget or the time, you have to put the right temperature. And then you need to know when to take it out and and refix it and and mix it up a little bit and then put it right back in to finish it off.
0: Mm. So I'm curious, because that's that's like incredible. That's like that's like really that's like really good ROAS, man. Like we're talking yeah, well, at least a three three X ROAS on on an e com. Sometimes sometimes when people are super aggressive, they're like a one point five at serious scale. Um, as long as they can make the margin work, or they're prepared to break even on the front, so that's correct. That's pretty. That's pretty incredible. Um, I'm curious, like in this day and age right now, and it's going to continue to happen. So if you're listening to this interview, like one year from now, two year from now, right now it's the you know start of January 2020. Organic reach has dropped off, same as influencers. Um, it's getting you know, like like how important is Facebook advertising to grow an e-commerce brand and generate sales today.
1: I think if it's not your core amount of spend, then you're overlooking the number one tool that anybody has to use in getting any sort of uh, traction for your company. There's no other tool out here—not not Snapchat, not Twitter, not Instagram by itself. Facebook, like Facebook, is the only tool that you can use to put a dollar in and understand at least somebody out there is going to respond to it, positive or negative. Both of those are going to be good indicators of where you need to move next. You can't build a clear strategy unless you have at least one major boat that's pushing your entire company forward, right? You're you're not going to blog and get as much reach anymore. There's, there, you, you said Like it's not influencers going to do it for you. Influencers might, right? They do drive some traffic, but how do you get that amplification a little bit further? And this is strategies that Greta and I talk about often is, that paid amplification right behind that influencers brand or their content that they're're pu- they're pushing there's no other choice of
0: doing it yeah because like influencers a lot of the the Instagram stuff a lot of it is top of funnel as well like real top of funnel and then you can use that you know user generated content from influencers to run in your mm-hmm. ads as content or it's just the first tipping point of awareness they visit the site they might not buy then you you know the, you use retargeting to close, or et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. No, you're absolutely correct. There's, it, it has to be the number one starting
1: point for anybody that's serious about trying to launch a product or brand in 2020. It's, there's no way around. There's no way around it. You can't build your email list without it. Even if you wanted to build an email list, you're probably going to have to use uh, Facebook to get a little bit, of, uh, get a couple of leads through that funnel.
0: Yeah, I agree, 110%. You look at all the top brands, they're all, they're all buying media. Um, so yeah. I'm curious, you've worked with tons, you've spent a lot of money over the years. How much do you reckon you've spent in your career?
1: Oh, this is easy. I've already done this math before. So I would say I've spent over $85 million in the last six years of me running media. Wow. It's really simple as to understand like how much money that could have been, is because for the last four years i've been at performance paid media teams right and last year alone uh myself and my team we've had three facebook case studies all of them were for one you have snow teeth whining which he's already built a hundred million dollar company um you have uh diff eyewear which that's a low 50 million dollar company and then we have Socks, which we did uh, i think i talked about this a little bit on on what uh, the, the program that we did together with founders it was like 10 it was a 10 million in the first 32 days this was in wow. 2017.
0: That's crazy. So I'm curious out of these like you've worked with tons of brands, you've made a lot very, very successful. I'm curious what's the common thing among those brands that are crushing it?
1: Oh it's a great answer. So the first one would have to be it usually is a product that is uh, an emotional trigger by and for that I mean think about like snow that's a cosmetic it's people that want to feel better about themselves pup socks was an animal and anytime you talk about animals most likely people are going to want to spend more more money on an animal versus themselves okay unless it's for a cosmetic or it's, or it's a health play um these all these products have an average aov of about 50 to about $80, right? So that 50 to 80 gives you enough range for me to like spend money or buy the data on Facebook for me to at least remarket to them. The product is congruent enough to be upsold or cross-sold with the, with the secondary product. So they already know that if you're going to buy the socks, they're most likely going to come back and probably buy the blanket. Um, or if they bought the teeth whining, they're going to come back and buy the toothpaste. Or if they bought a single uh, glasses, uh, they're going to come by and and buy uh, maybe another pair of reading glasses in the same exact style that initial product that they're buying is lending itself easily to another second product
0: interesting and i'm curious let's say somebody was like doing let's just say like a couple of hundred grand in sales a year and they came to you and they need your help what would be the first thing that you would look at for an e-com brand um so doing a couple hundred grand um yeah, what, what would you look at first?
1: We. I would ask them like, okay, you've done a couple hundred grand. Is it off of a
0: single product or is it off of a set of products? Let's if just it's say, off of a... yeah, they shouldn't have – I believe personally they shouldn't have many products. They should have maximum a couple of SKUs, right? Like a flagship and maybe one complementary, yeah? Yeah,
1: I, I believe in that as well. I believe that way they're able to build uh, – they, they have clear feedback from the consumers – um if that's if they're coming to us they have one hero product and maybe two uh, two or three other ones on it um we would have to we'd move right away into how do we build an exclusive product and do once one specific partnership with someone that is it's a congruent influencer in their space now i'm not saying you go influencer right off the bat you've already been established on paid media or you're already getting traction organically you're getting some pr pr placements but you're you're still consistently getting sales off your hero product. The only way to make that more unique is to wrap it with an influencer or do a limited edition drop, colorway, you name it, but we have to make it ex- exclusive and VIP. One great brand that we worked with that did this named Vessi Footwear, they locked their website and the only way you were able to get the new shoe that they dropped was if they if you went specifically to the site, this whole entire site was shut down and you had to put your email into it. As soon as you put your email into the website, then they emailed, they emailed you a code. At, as soon as you got the code, you had an hour to go make a purchase of that new shoe.
0: Wow, that's crazy. Grid
1: Gritta, has done stuff like that.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. I've
1: never even heard of something like that. Yeah. But the, it was, they're, they're still running the same exact shoe. It's just a different colorway.
0: Yeah, wow.
1: So if, if you're able to build an exclusivity off of that one product or just limit the amount of drop, That in itself is going to build you. Now it's not going to be the consistent. That that one tactic isn't going to put you to 200k or or 300k. It's it's just not going to do that. But what I would say is, what was the main reason why the people were buying, or what was the main trigger or angle that they were using to buy um, that the the product and got you to 100 thousand dollars? Because that that might not be
0: the only way that you can sell your product. Mm. So you actually before you even start buying media, you go deep on the the sales psychology before you even look at writing copy working on the creative you're trying to find out why it was sold do something unique to get some traction to get to just see what happens but yes
1: because there, there has to be a trigger that's going to want to convince someone to separate their money from their pocket the tr- and, and so if you if for instance let's say I'd say we'll use we'll use teeth whining because I think it's easy for people to understand why 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 would someone would want wider teeth, right? So if, if someone's wanting wider teeth, and the the reasons could be like I have a job coming up, right? I'm trying to better myself. I'm trying to get a better career. That in itself is an angle that could be highlighted and shown both female and male. Um, it could be someone that is a little bit less fortunate, and that, but they want to aspire to be someone that's in a, a more of a professional way. Cool. That person's trying to aspire to have a better job. Second, what if you just got broken up with, and then now you need to kind of reposition yourself to be more attractive and potentially even go out and find a new suitor, okay? That's the same product, but you're not approaching someone that maybe wants to make themselves look better to a potential uh, uh, male or female. Second is, what if it's just for yourself? Like maybe you just want to feel better about yourself holistically. Now you're talking about you the whole entire time. It's still the same product, but there's three different angles in which you can present it that might be a trigger and that might be another faucet for you to kind of get a bunch more sales under the same product. It's just a different reposition.
0: Yeah, I love that. We talked about this last time. It's a game of angles. Yes. And it goes back
1: to Facebook. Facebook has the tools that allows you, because if you if you're if you really wanted to break it down into an absolute science, and there's only a few couple of brands we've been able to work with this that that have understood that they need to build the experience from the ad to the landing page all the way to the purchase that highlights the exact angle that they started with which top of funnel which is if you're going to use teeth whining for trying to find a suitor and that first ad that you show them is having doubt as you make meet your next partner and then the page that they're landing on is a potential scene of them going out on a dinner date all the way through that is from ad to the landing page all the way to the purchase and then they get the product that that in itself they didn't even have to see the other angles that all was cons- that was all consistent from the ad to the landing page and all that can be done is rotating off of utm codes or just unique landing pages sub or mike what do they call it? they call microsites nowadays just a simple microsite that
0: highlights the uh, the angle that you were presenting at, at originally. yeah i love that man that's so cool so we know like for us at founder we we don't sell we can't kind of do we sell mag, printed magazines and books but we're not like a core like e-com brand like right? we're more media and education um more than anything um so we know we know at founder that creative's super important um so anyone that's running an e-com business right now what kind of content works best
1: so we we've been trying to test this pretty aggressively top of funnel um and so we, we would separate it into, we have three sections. We have prospecting, or cold, top of funnel. We have re-engagement, or middle, warm. And then we have remarketing, what we call hot, bottom of funnel. That's as simple as I can make it right now. Top of funnel, I wouldn't say it's exclusively this, but I would have very branded, non-aggressive, non, uh, get in my funnel, uh, how would you say, no discount codes, no promo codes, top of funnel, all this is, is presenting like, here's what our, here's what our product is. Here's our unique selling propositions. For instance, we we have a product that we talk about called Miracle Sheets. Miracle Sheets has three uh, value propositions. One, it smells better. Two, it has silver technology. And three, you, have, you can wash it less. We're going to highlight those three specific value propositions top of funnel and present it in a very branded way so that they can potentially just see the brand, feel the brand. As we move down into what we would call re engagement, we now are trying to hit them with as much social proof, whether it's uh, hired, uh, I'm doing air quotes up here, hired uh, consumer, or if we can get an actual consumer to hit the specific speaking points that we want of them talking about why they love the product, why it's been good for them, what social proof that we need for them to talk about. And then the further we get down, we're just trying to keep showing them videos and images consistently of the product in use. That way, they know that it's real, it's not cheaply made, and they're actually gonna get something that they're already gonna buy.
0: Yeah, interesting. So showing the product in use is a key one. Oh, hugely, because the doubt that
1: people are having, and I see this on a lot of the ads that we're running, the doubt that they have of this actually getting to them or it being a cheap uh, drop-shipped product or a product that's going to be fulfilled from overseas it's it's very real very very fearful of of what is actually going to come and it comes across on the type of content that you're showing them if you don't actually show them that unboxing experience or the actual use of the look
0: of the product there's just so much doubt online And when it comes to the type of content, do you recommend hiring uh, professional videographers or photographers or stuff like that? Do you need to? Do you recommend it, or what? Like, or do you prefer the UGC style, or what? Yeah, it's a great question. I I don't think it's going to be like
1: specific to to one thing because we're experiencing more burnout of creative, uh, even at lower spends than we were previously. So it's going to have to be a mixture of it because. The UGC self-shot stuff looks great and it looks uh, good enough for people to kind of be bought into it because it is organic to the platform. But there are brands that need to have a fully production, uh, full studio shoot, hired models, or else people are going to associate it with not being higher quality. Now, they're all they, it all needs to be tested. But there's some brands that they, they just can't afford to go hire full model do a full day of shooting and get a studio. And I'm not saying that you have to do that because you don't. There's brands that are, that we're working with that are, are doing plenty of revenue and they don't have full on shoots because that UGC content does resonate. It just depends on where you're going to show it, whether it's top of funnel, middle of funnel or
0: bottom of funnel. Hmm, interesting. Um, okay. And when it comes to like minimum spend, like uh, what, like what about handling risk? Um, like, do you have like, Do you risk heaps of money on Facebook ads to make it work? Like, um, yeah, because I think that's scary for some people as well. Yeah. No, it is very scary.
1: I left a meeting earlier today, and this number has been floating around consistently. They asked, like, how much is enough for us to understand, like, whether to turn it off or turn it on? And the rule of thumb that we use, at least to feel comfortable, because we always talk about we have to buy the data. We have to buy the data. If you're, if you're at $10,000 $10, USD spent and you have no clear direction of where you need to go, something is significantly wrong. And let me be very, very specific on this. When you're about to launch your ads and when you're about to build like an actual, let's say like an ad funnel on Facebook, not talking about any other funnel other than just your ads, and you don't know what value propositions you're testing or what angles you're trying to test, you are essentially lighting money on fire because there's no learnings that you're going to get from it. Ten thousand dollars is essentially three hundred and thirty-three dollars a day for an entire month. Now, there's a difference between am I going to spend ten thousand dollars in two days, or am I going to spend ten thousand dollars over thirty days? Right, that's that's a month of spend. That product, and on average, what people are trying to get AOVs. Uh, hold on. Let me let me try to let me try to re-explain this to you because I think this might be a little bit confusing. So I, I'm using $10,000 as the anchor because the brands that we've seen are anywhere from AOVs of about 50 to 80 Now, I understand some brands might have AOVs around $35, and it's hard for them to get it above that. And even at that point, that's only going to be like eight sales a day. And they have to spend at least two times AOV to get a clear idea like, uh, are people getting in my funnel? Are people adding things to cart? Are people even having the ability to purchase? That's not enough money for them to spend on a, on a single day for them to have a clear idea of like, wow, is this working or not working? Because if you spend too little, you clearly don't know if if that ad or if that angle or if that that this product, if the product's price point, if the site's conversion rate, there's so many things that go into it that you won't have a clear idea idea of of what what knob to turn. So for for us we have a we have a document called a correlation document and we we actually um we actually share this inside it's it tells you based on what your aov is what you can afford to spend knowing that how many of your add to carts turn into checkouts and how many checkouts turn into purchases
0: wow off it, all the data you've collected over time
1: well off of all the data in your ad account off of all of what you've spent so if you don't have any spend you obviously don't have clear correlations of how many people are going to be uh, adding the cart and following all the way to purchase. Yeah. So then you know you've got your signals. Correct. And if you don't, it, because all, every, what all we're trying to do is limit the amount of money that we're lighting on fire so that we have at least like, okay, this might not turn into a purchase right now, but our to carts are fully in line with the dollars we're willing to spend to acquire a cart. Because we know that that cart should turn into initiate checkout if we spend four more dollars or five more dollars, based on what our correlations have been for the past month or two months, and this is something that we have to pull on a weekly, biweekly basis.
0: Yeah, so it's really all about unit economics. Like, amen. Yeah, like it, it is really just unit economics. I spent I spent X, get Y back. I spent a dollar, I've got to get three back. If if I'm not at this point. When I break the funnel down, if we get X, Y, Z, then then we turn it off or we scale it up.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because these these earlier correlations is is where we're able
1: to make a decision on. I'm not even going to let it continue to spend if if none of my other early metrics make sense. And we're not making decisions off of click costs because there's too many things that it could happen um, after that. Because a, a, a click can be four dollars and the purchase could be way under. Uh, way under Ross, a click could be $2 and it could be right on target. So the, the cost per click is for me, especially on e-commerce has never been an indicator of future success. Yeah,
0: that makes sense. So I'm curious as well, like, do you think PPC, FB ads in particular work for any e-com business, single product, random niches, large ranges? Hmm. That's a
1: good question. I would have said no to this question earlier if I didn't have proof that Facebook ads can sell expensive furniture. Like the most expensive thing I've ever sold was I think $35,000 and it was like a couch. Wow. And I and I believe and I believe that this it, it plays a part in the funnel and I don't believe it Facebook as a standalone tool could provide a conversion that expensive because how long the consideration period is for a product like that. Like think about the research that goes into that and think about the argument that you have to have with your wife to make sure you make that purchase. <laughs>
0: so,
1: so so I believe I believe that it it, it does Facebook is a tool that could be used on any product. That's obviously acceptable that Facebook will accept on its platform. But it, it won't be like the only tool used and that's probably something that people get really confused about like well i'm using facebook as i'm not getting purchases um what's what's wrong like something's wrong well there might be a lot more on the site there might be a lot more convincing that you need to do or education on the product there's other things that, that need to be utilized but facebook as a tool itself yeah i think it is it could sell any t- any type of e-commerce product yeah. It just depends on is, is that product needed
0: in the market? Hmm, interesting. So um, one thing I'd love to talk to you about is um, we met you through Greta and uh, we spoke at the same conference, but I never met you um, at the Affiliate Marketing World Conference. But um, Greta always speaks so highly of you. I've never met in person, but we have met online now. And, um yeah, we're, we're we're working on this new incredible course, um, which is really advanced. It's like it's like a like it's it's for people that already have an e-commerce business. And um, you taught the module around Facebook ads, and media buying, and um, one of the one of the the strategies uh, that you talk about that you that you call the touchy no touchy strategy. Um, do you want to talk about that and and what is that exactly and why is it important? Okay, so when, you, when you when you asked me like
1: no touchy or touchy strategy, and I was kind of joking by putting this in there, but I was like, you know, that's kind of like my personality. So in the course, there's two main documents that we use. One is called the Delayed Attribution Calculator and one is called our Correlation Document. And at, it, at what it really was like, no touchy isn't like, do not touch this. This will be automatically updating based on the numbers that you populate into it. And then you can touchy is like, okay, this is where you can play with it. So that is to give you a little bit of context of why I said those two things. Uh... So when, when, when people are in their ad accounts, like they get, okay, when people are spending money, let's just be plain and simple, even with the ad, even with the media buyers that we train or the, the other uh, ad buyers that I work with, like spending money, whether it's your money or somebody else's money is really difficult, right? So they prematurely turn things off or they'll they prematurely add more budget. I'm like, wait. I'm looking at it. Why did you bump that budget or turn that off? It's going to work. And I guarantee you, anybody else that's listening to this or anyone that's spending any of their own money, they've turned something off. They've checked it two days later and they are like, Holy shit, there's purchases. What is that? Mm. Well, what we call that's called delayed attribution. That means something when, th- when that ad was fed, it was in the algorithm it's floating around and you turned it off but it was still in someone's phone it was still loading on someone's feed they made a purchase that day or a couple hours or a couple days later and it just attributed back to the ad that you turned off so although you turned it off it got a purchase and it updated and now all of a sudden that ad that ad set that campaign is profitable so by making this correlation document, it's so simple because all, when when you see it in, the, in when you see it in the course, you type in your ROAS target. So let's say like uh, my ROAS target needs to be a one point six based on your margin, based on uh, what you're able to spend to acquire a customer without you losing money or wanting to get the desired ROAS or return that you want, based on the AOV that you're always getting on your site, and it tells you the cost per added card that you're willing to accept is eleven dollars and 50 cents that's hypothetical that's a hypothetical number right mm. or you're and then if you can accept eleven dollars and 54 cents well based on the correlation of how many of these added carts turn into initiate checkout I'm actually able to accept a $37 initiate checkout okay cool mm. so now I know that even if I don't have any purchases and the ad is still early but I'm getting a bunch of added carts at 11 bucks, Don't touch it. Do not turn it off. Let it run. Okay. Well, what what now, Nate? What happens if you're getting a fifteen dollar cart, a sixteen dollar cart, seven, and they're getting a little expensive, but your initiate checkouts are below that thirty-seven dollars? Well, you it might not have passed that first target of what your cost per card is. But you are in line with what your initiate checkout is. So you have to trust your numbers. You have to trust the data. You have to let it run. Because yeah. people get too trigger happy on this. Now, yeah. that that decision making is super important. And it gives us a little bit of confidence to know like, okay, you know, I'm not going to be emotional on this. And media buying and marketing, it's, it's the mixture between art and science. Like, you know this. You You write copy. You write something that's emotionally felt, but you have to let the metrics speak for itself and you have to make the decisions off of what you're looking at. Well, delayed attribution is another thing that I'm not I'm not an expert at speaking on this, but I, have, I had to know it enough for me to feel confident enough to teach about it. And the tool that we have in there, which it'll be there, it'll be, it's called our, our delayed attribution calculator. And what you type into it is, what does it look like on your one day view? Because Facebook has uh, three different views, your one day, your seven day, and your 28 day. Now, I wish every attribution tool communicated to itself. And there are two tools that we are we are diving into. The more you get on a larger marketing mix, uh, there's one tool called measured.com. And there's another tool called rockerbox, R-O-C-K-E-R box.com. And this is more for people that are spending on Google, YouTube, they have a little bit of organic going, they got some affiliates, like they have a bigger mix and they need to understand like where the true value is coming from which channel or which channel is contributing the most top or bottom of funnel like i don't think a lot of people are there but if you are willing to to test on multiple platforms and channels this is probably something you would want to invest in uh, so you can at least get a, a fuller picture of where your marketing dollars are going and so on on your on your uh delayed attribution you want to know like on that one day right on your one day what what is our ROS going to be okay if that roast is going to be a 1x but we really need we really need like a 1.5 to be profitable. Well, we can't make a, a, a gut decision on that because you might get some lift. You might get a purchase in day two or day three. So by day five, it's actually that, that what that initial 1x was on that day you were viewing it. Well, a couple of days from now, that might actually be a 1.5. So if I would have made a premature decision, I just cut myself off when that, that was profitable. I should have let that run.
0: Yeah, so... Yeah, delayed attribution, eh? Killer. Oh, it's a it's a silent killer completely.
1: As well as once you set the delayed attribution, it really will allow you to set your correlation document. So we've made some great videos with you, uh, you and your team to to understand, okay, well understand what my delayed attribution is, and that directly affects my correlations. And once I understand where I can make my decisions um, on that pre-funnel metrics, I can spend more money and I can be smarter about the money I'm spending.
0: Yeah, no, that's really interesting because, yeah, I think a lot of the time people, are, yeah, are very, very trigger happy, and that's why mm-hmm. I guess this is this is different than than mo- the way most people do media buying, right?
1: Oh my gosh, yeah, because they they log into the account, they look at it,
0: they they're like, oh, that's not my, that's not where I need it to be. And they turn it off. Yeah, that's interesting because like you make me even think like, what are we doing for like founder and like. Yeah, calculating that. Yeah, I, would, I mean, I would love to take a peek at it. It's, a, it's Once you
1: see the calculator and the tool, it, it's based on what Facebook's tools are. All you have to do is open up the attribution windows and you plug it right in. It'll tell you what it looks like at your one day, what, your, what you can expect the lift could be from your one day
0: to your 28 day and from your seven day to your 28 day. Mm, yeah, I love it. Yeah, we do report and we do always see it goes down over time. Like after like you don't even just reporting after a week because we have long sales cycles for certain products. It's not just direct. Well, yeah. You probably have a great lift. Yeah, yeah, we do. Interesting. So I'm curious, um, we have to work towards wrapping up. This has been great, mm-hmm. man. Um, I, I'm learning a ton as well myself. I'm curious, would you suggest um, someone run their own ads or – Should they hire an agency? I think you and I, the last time we talked about
1: this, it was like a very good conversation. And I still feel even more passionate about if if you were asking someone to run ads for you and you don't understand how to communicate or how to keep them accountable, you are willingly giving up money and not judging them on anything. You are, you are purposely giving them all authority to either tank your company or take it to the next level. But most likely, if you haven't set them up for with the understanding of like, hey, I know how to run my own ads and I and I need someone to manage that because I have more important things to do in my business. I could run my ads. I know how to do that, but I need someone to focus on that because I have to run all the other elements of my business. And if you're still doing like what a lot of the brands that we're talking to is hundred grand a year. in that you have the time to run those ads. And there's just a couple of formulations. And there's just a couple of structures that you need to follow uh, that we teach that I, I know I teach consistently that you can plug and play and let Facebook do it for yourself. Cause they've created so many tools from CBO to dynamic creative testing that you can get a lot of this stuff done on your own. And if you can't speak the language, any agency or any freelance person that you're going to work with or someone that you have in-house is going to be able to pull a quick one on you or at least not give you the thorough answers that you need. The per, the media buyer or the agency that you hire, they're supposed to provide you clear understandings of like, hey, if you're investing X amount of dollars in me, which you're probably going to be paying someone between $2,500 all the way up to $15,000 for some people that are getting a full service agency, what are you getting from that? you need to be getting insights into what who, what customers are buying, what creatives, what angles are, are people are responding to or reacting to, and where what days of the week the purchase is coming, what regions are being purchased from that. What insights that matter for me, like me being like an agency owner, and this pains me because like I, I rather deter as many people away from using an agency unless you run things yourself, is if you don't have the questions to ask, we could literally tell you anything and show you some spreadsheets of numbers uh, and be like, oh, it's getting better. But if, if, you, if it's not getting better, how are you going to hold us accountable?
0: Yeah, 110%. I agree. Like I, I am not a master by any means at Facebook ads, but I know enough to be dangerous and and really even set benchmarks from talking to other people in like my particular industry, understanding what are the targets we should be going for, like all these different things. Like you just, you really have to know the lays of the land. I agree. Yeah, and then that and then at that point, now you are partnering with somebody. Now you're going like, hey,
1: I'm gonna manage this part of my business. You join me on this. And you, you might find some great relationships in that. They might be they might fall in love with your product. And what if they want to be more involved, more invested in that?
0: Yeah, no, I love it, man. Well, look, dude, um I'm mindful of your time. We have to work towards wrapping up. It's getting late where you are as well. Um question. Uh Where's the best place people can find out more about yourself and your work and your agency? Oh, well you don't even need to find
1: out anything about the agency, but if you wanted to, it's structuredsocial.com. If I, if anything, I'd follow me on Instagram. I am Nick Shackleford. That's probably the most consistent uh, uh, I am there. Uh, and I'm I'm also I'm I'm in the founders group, right? So I'm in I'm in the startup cell. I'm in all things founder, and I'm I'm very very appreciative
0: of, of what you've been able to build and, and the people that you're going to be bringing into my life shortly. Amazing, man. Well, look, um, bro, thank you so much uh, for your time and everything you do. This was an awesome conversation. I know people would have got a ton out of this. Of course, thank you so much, babe. Hey. hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview.